Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to The Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Today we're going to be talking about asset protection, and we actually started this subject on the last podcast, and this is pretty much a part two because we didn't cover every little thing that we need to. Uh, in fact, we're never going to cover every little thing. There's so much involved in this, uh, so many strategies and so many ideas. And speaking of ideas, here's the idea, man. Good morning, Tim. How are you? I'm doing good. We survived our polar vortex in the last couple of weeks, and now it's only about 14 degrees, so it's a heat wave. So oh, doing well. Yeehaw. Get out there and get that tan, huh? Exactly. Right. <laughs> it is sunny, which we love. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that helps everything. That helps my mood for sure. Uh, all right. Speaking of moods, asset protection, that can put us in a good mood because that, you know, the word protection is pretty powerful. What are we covering today? And, you know, in fact, before we hit that, what did we cover last time? Can you give us just like a recap of what we talked about last time to lead us into today's podcast? For sure. When we meet with clients, uh, prospects, clients, we have a detailed process we go through where we gather information, we put together plans, we do the analysis. And then on an ongoing basis, we're always updating as people's situation changes. You know, we, we plan for different transition points and different targets. Um, sometimes when we do that, the clients specifically require what we call advanced planning. And advanced planning could be you know, additional generational wealth enhancement, uh, some additional estate planning, tax planning. One of the advanced planning topics is asset protection. Mm -hmm. So as we're gathering data, as we're analyzing what the client needs, we're thinking about ways to protect the assets. And last time, the previous podcast, we talked about times when the client is really looking to protect where they really want to protect, as, as we call it. And want meaning maybe they need to protect the, the beneficiaries from themselves or mm -hmm. you know make sure that they're ready. Um, another one we talked about at the end was prenuptial agreements where you know we're really trying to protect, they want to protect generational wealth. And they, one of the options is by setting up prenuptial agreements as children, grandchildren get married. Mm -hmm. Today, I thought what we talk about is, you know, two instances where I think it's not necessarily want or it is want, but it's also really need or need to protect. And, you know, one is where you have children or beneficiaries in general with special needs. Mm -hmm. um, and also just instances where you want to control the distributions for the future generation in terms of how and when they receive it uh, for a number of different reasons. So those are really the topics I thought we'd cover. All right. So number one, we're going to talk about kind of planning children or grandchildren that may have some special needs. I know there's labels out there as far as what special needs means, but what I think it covers a broader spectrum from a financial standpoint. So what, what are we really talking about when we talk about special needs? Uh, special needs, like you said, is a pretty broad category. Where we typically see it is where children, grandchildren, other beneficiaries have physical mental disabilities. Mm -hmm. So for example, I grew up in Chicago and uh, in Chicago, there's an organization called Misericordia. And if you're from the area, you know it, who it is, uh, primarily because when Mike Ditka was the coach of the Bears, he was their 
big spokesperson, and he really put nice. it on the map. I mean, he really raised a lot of money for that organization. Where I'm located now in Valparaiso, Opportunity Enterprises is a good example, or Trade Winds is another example where of any age, if you have children with physical or mental disabilities, there are places where they can be cared for, work, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about special needs, a lot of times as we're going through the process and if I'm meeting with the client or talking with them, where we're saying, you know, in an instance where they do have a child or a grandchild with special needs, the issue is really that oftentimes they're receiving some sort of needs-based government support and or they're in a facility, they're, they're living in a group home or they're, they have a job where the designation of having the special needs ensures that they have that position or that location where they live. Mm-hmm. And an inheritance then, if they just receive an inheritance outright or cash or gifts outright, it jeopardizes some of the benefits they're receiving and also maybe some of the facilities they live in, things like that. So we, we want to pay specific attention to protecting the wealth for those kids. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's the the benefits that we talk about, because I've had a little bit of experience just in the in a little bit of a different area, but we're not talking about just money, right? I mean, that, that's the whole thing. It's not just government money that they're getting. They're getting support services that include a lot of times therapeutic services. And if they are disqualified for some of the government programs, that can actually take away some of the services, meaning therapeutic type services that they would normally be receiving, which are incredibly beneficial. Um, And it it really is kind of a catch 22 in that situation a lot of times. So how do you overcome that? Yeah, you're actually spot on. So it's typically not cash or money. It's usually, like you said, the benefits, it could be health insurance, it could be, Mm -hmm. like you said, the the, um, occupational therapy. And and what happens, I, I guess the problem we're trying to address is that an outright gift, uh, you know, limits the the needs-based support that they're going to receive or their ability to get some of those benefits. Because what the the government does, which is a, a correct way to do it, is they do means testing, and an outright gift to uh, somebody with special needs or somebody receiving those types of needs-based or means-based testing-based uh, benefits, it could be disrupted, and and that's what we're trying to prevent. Yeah. So one of the there's a couple solutions out there and. Historically, we would work with our partners who are like the client's attorneys, other advisors, and we to talk about what they call the third party or special needs trusts. And what happened is Congress created an exemption to the means testing or what they call the means tested disqualification standard. And they, they created a law saying that, you know, if you follow these specific rules to create these special needs trusts, they become exempt from those means tested. And as a result, means tests, and as a result, they're not inherently disqualified from the benefits or from the services they're receiving. Mm, That's good. Yeah, and so what happens is, I guess as a bottom line, or what what we tell people that they need to focus on is that the trust itself just has to be, first of all, created by somebody other than the individual with the special needs. Um, So it could be the parents, could be siblings, or just could be somebody looking to support you know, so it can come from a lot of different places, but it just cannot be set up by the individual who is receiving those benefits. Okay. And what happens is because, you know, the third party, whoever that is, it could be the parents, grandparents, siblings, because they're, they're setting it up and the way it's drafted, there's no legal obligation to provide the benefit to the child or to the disabled person. 
it's more complicated than that. And I don't want to, I guess I'm not an attorney, so I don't want to get into the details of the documents, but this is a solution to the way you can continue to support your child, your grandchild, uh, but at the same time, not have them harmed by losing benefits. Mm-hmm. So just the one final thing to keep in mind regarding the special needs trust is what happens is you don't want to provide cash necessarily. It really should always be things like in-kind assets, clothing, transportation, travel, medical treatments. You know, there's always going to be gaps in what the government covers and what they don't cover. And so the trustee has the discretion to provide those types of things. When you provide income, then that goes right towards the means testing. So Mm. oftentimes you're writing checks directly to medical providers, facilities, things like that. All right. So in addition, like one other area that we, when you have children with special needs trust, there's a relatively new a new concept or a new plan out there, I should say, and it's really state-driven, but there's accounts called uh, ABLE accounts. And what happened is Congress create, you know, added the ABLE accounts back in 2014, but they really have become more and more popular, I think, as people are learning more about them. And really what they do is they function a bit like uh, 529 or college savings accounts where you're limited in terms of what you could put in there. So uh, the limit is 14000 per child per year. So that's not going to cover, or that won't cover you know, all the needs, but it helps. Um, and then what happens is once you, there's also limitations on what you can accumulate in these accounts too. Um, and then once they get over those certain amounts, they become means tested. So these are not permanent solutions. I have clients who will say, you know, should I do a special needs trust or should I do an ABLE account? And my answer is typically, I think both work because the ABLEs are great, but they're just limited in terms of dollar amount and they oftentimes won't really cover everything that's needed. So you can have two sources of funds that I think can accomplish both goals and it gives you a little more diversification too. All right. And then the other thing, you know, we talk about beyond special needs or, you know, need to protect is just the inherent, what we call a use trust. And this is really a term that attorneys um, that I work with use. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a, a family home, a second home. Uh, I have a client with a piece of property with a house that's adjacent to the border of uh, Canada. And so it's been in the family two generations. And what they would like to do is protect and preserve that asset for future generations. And there's generation skipping rules, but there's a bottom line, a use trust just says, I'm going to put this house, this land, this property in a trust that allows this next generation to use it, but they can't technically sell it. They can't leverage it. They can't borrow against it. Ultimately, after they're done using it, it goes to the next generation after that. And it's just a way to protect assets. You know, when, when you're looking to, you, you say, this is a house or this is a property. This is something I really want to protect for future generations. That's okay. That's very interesting. So, who's the owner then of that house when, uh, heaven forbid, you know, grandma and grandpa pass, and it's you have it in a use trust, so the kids are able to use it, but they're not able to make any decisions on leveraging it or selling it, like you said. Who actually then becomes the owner? So, what happens is the trust becomes the owner, and you could think of it like a corporation, but corporations don't work in the sense that there's not enough restrictions that the clients are looking for. But a trust, you can stipulate in there that maybe in this case, two of the children are co-trustees. They're responsible for managing it. And I'll just bring up a really good point that 
if you use a use trust in an example like this one, you also need to set aside funds, right? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, it's going to cost money for taxes, maintenance, et cetera. And if there's no money there, it creates obviously a lot of problems among siblings mm -hmm. who don't want to contribute and shouldn't have to contribute. So you really have to uh, make sure that there's enough money there if you use it for in an instance like this anyway. Yeah, because that's exactly why I asked the question, because I'm thinking that's great. And it's a beautiful gift for grandma and grandpa to be able to give. But when it gets down to the grandkids and maybe there's only a couple grandkids, all of a sudden it becomes a burden. Um, how do they then sell it or, or whatever? So I, I can totally see that, you know, obviously setting it correct, correctly with the right amount of funds to be able to sustain that household maintenance and all the things that you had said um, would be vitally important. Yeah, that's why I don't see them that often, because if you think about it, when uh, we talked about it in a previous podcast where my wife and I, Nancy, Nancy and I downsized and we went through all the stuff that we thought mm -hmm. kids would want. Right. And it turns out uh, they don't. And a lot of times we may value the particular property or the particular asset and want to pass it for the future generations, but the kids don't necessarily have the same uh, appreciation for it. So you, put, you have to put a lot of thought into it, but that is just one example of how to really protect assets um, if, if that's your goal. Yeah, that's great. All right, what's next? So beyond you know, protecting children like we talked about with special needs or trusts, there's the general concept that uh, of what we call controlled distributions. And this is just another way to address the issue where you are looking to protect somebody. And the one that I'll, example I'll use because I'm just seeing it more often is um, where you have children, grandchildren, beneficiaries who are facing some sort of addiction. Mm. It's just becoming much more and more prevalent. You know, you just have to read about, you, know, you could open up the paper, you read about the opioids and the problems we're having yeah. right now. And so a lot of times what you're looking to do is protect the beneficiary from his or herself. And you do that by setting up a trust uh, either during your life or during after your death where you can control the distributions so that they don't harm their lives mm -hmm. by having access and, and basically use the money for things you don't approve and that would harm them. Yeah. Yep. And we have kind of a saying that we talk about when we're planning is, you know, no plan is a plan. Meaning that if you have if you haven't really put the thought into it and created a plan, I mean that is a plan, right? It's something's gonna happen at your when you pass on and if you haven't prepared for it, it becomes probably a plan you don't really want. Yes, And I, me I mentioned that specifically with this because it's a tough issue. It's a super, super emotional issue. Mm -hmm. um, you have children, grandchildren who need help, who need support, who have addictions. And a lot of times people just don't want to deal with it. But when you don't deal with it, it's just a bad plan. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind, I, I've got an example for you. Mm -hmm. A perfect example. My wife and I used to work at a facility called Boys Town. And we were family teachers there. And we had a lot of at-risk youth. And most of them came from inner city situations and, and uh, poverty uh, and, and just really, really bad, heartbreaking uh, situations. Well, one of the young men that lived with us uh, came from a very, very, very wealthy family. And he had behavioral issues and he had gotten into some drugs and things uh, before he came to us. And once he came to us, we found out that he would write letters. He would His parents would have him write these letters which is great. And we thought it was, you know, he's writing family and he's, you know, doing the things that he needs to do. Uh, but what we found out was that they would send him letters and all the letters that he would get would be in one envelope from his parents. 
And then he would write all these letters and send these letters to his parents. What they were doing is they were accepting letters from family that wanted to, you know, give him encouragement and so on and so forth. And then they would package them and send them and he would write letters back to him and send them to, to his parents. And they would then readdress them and put them in envelopes because mm. they basically told all the family he was in a very expensive private school instead of a facility that was helping him to change his behaviors. They were lying because of the shame. They thought, well, this is a very shameful thing that he's been sent to this facility for behavior correction and to help, you know, break addiction and so on and so forth. And so they never were honest about it. And so there was this shame, quote unquote, that they felt that they were bringing on the family and his behaviors never really changed. Once he left us, they continued to give him a very large allowance, a lot of money. um, And he continued to use drugs (laughs) because he had so much money he didn't know what to do with way too much money for a young man at that age. Um, and, yeah, exactly. and spiraled and spiraled and spiraled. And unfortunately, the last time I saw him, and these are nightmare stories, but this is just a real life example. The last time I saw him, he had none of his original teeth because of the meth he was doing. Um, mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, he's going to learn his lesson. We'll just continue to give him the money, but help, you know, tell him what to use it for. But he never listened because, you know, if you're getting, I think at that point, he was getting around $250,000 a year as a quote unquote allowance. He didn't work. <laughs> what else is he going to do? So as much as they felt that was love, it just, it was a disaster. Yeah. And I have examples like that all the time. And I, we've talked about this in other podcasts. I always lean towards more transparency versus less. Yeah. But I know just through experience working with clients, you know, it's like the analogy of looking at an iceberg. You you see the iceberg from above the water. Yeah. You don't you don't realize that there's you know five six seven times that amount of ice below the water, and that's always the case. And so, when we're planning, you know, I'm not a psychologist, uh, but what we what we do is we focus on just over time trying to draw out as much of as many of these issues as possible, so we can make sure that they're addressed. Because like mm-hmm. I said, if they're not addressed, that's that's technically a plan. It's not a good plan but it is one. Exactly. So what tools do you use to help a family protect that child that is just still making poor decisions and we know will, I mean, could absolutely be a disastrous or end up in, in death? Yeah. So oftentimes while the, while the clients are alive and they're worried and concerned and, and dealing with or addressing these issues with the children, again, I'll just use the example of addictions. They have the ability to control those distributions during their life. The issue really becomes the fear of the client, legitimate mm-hmm. fear of what happens when they're gone. And, you know, when, when this money passes, are they ready for it? And they're not. And there is it will it harm them and it and it will. So, you know, one thing an attorney taught me 20 years ago, and this is just a very basic concept, and I thought it was kind of funny the way he put it, but he calls it, you know, three chances to blow it. So at the very least, you know, beyond addictions, if you have children that you feel like they're not ready for receiving an inheritance. Oftentimes, if you read people's estate plans, and this is a pretty common, you'll see where they might get us, you know, a third at a certain age or a death. And then, you know, when the parents pass on, then maybe another third, five or 10 years later, and then the final distribution, five or 10 years later. And I always wondered why they did that. But, you know, attorneys just humorously said, but it's legitimate is, oh, you know, we give them three chances to blow it. Um, that's a cynical view, but um, mm-hmm. honestly, if I see, if I meet with 100 clients, I would guess that 
60 or 70 of those have that written into their documents. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about addictions. We're primarily speaking about drugs, but there's adrenaline junkies, right? I mean, when I was very, very young, I did absolutely stupid things with my cars, you know, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any money, right? So, I mean, it wasn't like I could afford a faster car. Um, I just pushed the car I did have to the limits. So if I had the ability to buy a car that could go 250 miles an hour or 220 miles an hour, I might just be inclined to buy that at 19 years old. So those are types of behaviors that we want to protect kids from because, again, it's just too much money at too young of an age or at a level of immaturity that's going to cause them to make just poor decisions or even just poor financial decisions, even if they think, okay, I'm going to start a business and they, you know, I think pet rocks are going to be the next big thing and I'm investing all my money that I just got as an inheritance you know, into these pet rocks. Yeah, we'd like that money to last a little longer than seven weeks, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean that's 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 great. What other tools do you have that that can well, really help these families? The biggest tool we have, I think, is a process that we go through over time where we try to identify what are the key variables. You know, uh, when and how mm-hmm. do you want them to receive the money, and are there certain things you want to encourage? Are there behaviors going back to the behaviors? So I've seen clients where they put in their that they'll pay for school, though they'll pay for advanced education. Um, I was talking to a, a speaking coach who, who's a client who was telling me that he was driving up to um, northern Michigan to have a couple of uh, two-day meetings with you know, beneficiaries because one of the boxes they have to check off <laughs> to receive distributions is that they are um, getting coached. You know, for this, this parent who had passed away wanted this their children to be good communicators. Hmm. So this was kind of one of the things that they had in their checklist of things they had to do to get money. It was just kind of interesting. That's fantastic. I mean, that, that is a great idea. I really like that one. Yeah. And so I think that in general, everybody puts in health, education, maintenance, support. You want to make sure that the money's there to support your children. And if there's addictions, maybe you want to make sure that the money is there to pay for facilities, pay for care, uh, making sure that they don't necessarily get cash and you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're holding the strings there. Um, I've also seen one that I promote and I really like to see, uh, happen is, you know, charitable, uh, but also, um, like a lifelong learning. If you can mm-hmm. set aside money and say that, you know, if you get different designations or education, it doesn't matter what it is, or maybe it does matter to the client. But I really like those variables when they talk about educating because education is always good, right? It's going to make somebody yep. hopefully make better decisions. Yep, absolutely. And then the other thing I'll just say is you the clients can do this during their life. You can set up trusts mm-hmm. to support your children, grandchildren, beneficiaries while you're alive. And, and the benefit there, I think, is you can watch the improvement. You can watch them receive it. You can watch them use it. Uh, you can also do it what they call testamentary trust, which is at, in your will. So it just says that you know, in in the event of my death, uh, the money is going to be separated into maybe an education fund or health and maintenance fund or some sort of uh, special needs account, things like that. So you can do it during your life. You can do it at your death. I will say that I hesitate often. I'm reserved about making uh, recommendations of irrevocable trust decisions, irrevocable meaning if I put money into a trust now and really you can't change that, it can't come back. Irrevocable trust, irrevocable decisions like that are just so hard because you just don't know where you're going to be in 10 years, Mm -hmm. 5 years, 15 years. 
and I, I always hesitate and to have people make you know significant long-term decisions like that they can't change so flexibility is a, a really big key yeah is there anything else we need to cover on this topic for today no I think that's it I think I just wanted to make sure that we you know last time we talked about prenuptial agreements talked about just preparing ears and I just wanted to get into the other advanced planning topics of protecting your children with special needs and then really just generally controlling your distributions to protect you making sure that the Money is used for your children, grandchildren's benefit, and that it's not going to necessarily harm them. All right. Fantastic. So, Tim, I'm gonna, I know we're short on time and we're wrapping this one up. How about a preview or a little, little sneak peek of the next podcast? What are we going to be talking about? Sure. So I, I thought for the next podcast, we would take a little break from the technical <laughs> planning All right. ideas. And really, I'd like to introduce some of the team members over time to oh, my great. audience and Hannah Boggs is our Director of Communications and Marketing. She really helps, uh, as me, a recovering accountant, you know, she really <laughs> helps uh, making sure that the what I'm trying to say is, is communicated even a little better and, and more creatively. So I'd really like people to get to know Hannah, and so I'd like to have her as my guest at the next podcast. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. This will be my first time meeting Hannah, so I'm excited. Yeah, no, I think you'll love it. All right, good deal. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. All right, and thank you for listening to the WealthStream Podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the Subscribe Now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream Podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. 